Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Well-Lit Path. There's a lot of praise and reflection to unpack this week in Psalm 16. But first, how's your week been? As most weeks, it was a busy one for me. I'm sure it was for you too. Uh, I've been trying to obtain some certifications, finish up some testing for a potential alternate career path. And I spent this last week hyper-focused on those things. Um, And honestly, to my shame, it was at the expense of many other things. And I tend to do that a lot. I see a goal that I want in my life and I pursue it as quickly as possible to achieve something that I want to see completed. Many times the things that I sacrifice for that pursuit are the things that really matter. Uh, Time with my wife, time in the word, time in prayer, uh, time taking care of my other responsibilities. If you look deep within yourself, you may say that you're, you're guilty of this too at times. What this does in me once I realize it is that I feel disappointed in myself. And because I feel that way, then I let guilt set in. And when the guilt sets in, I want to defer or deflect that guilt. So I let it set me on edge. And before I know it, I'm lashing out at the people I love the most because I've let the guilt rob me of my joy and set me at odds with my Heavenly Father. And to restore that relationship, all I have to do is come to Him and ask for restoration. Acknowledge my shortcoming and be restored. And then surprisingly, that'll work for my earthly relationships too. Admit fault, ask the affected person's forgiveness, and be restored. Humility is key, not only before God, but also valuable with our spouses, our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ. God is so good to show us grace in these times why do we not see that others can extend to extend that same grace to us as well if we just ask? Here in this psalm, David speaks of the blessings and grace that God shows and bestows on us, and he does it so eloquently. Uh, God is good to those that serve him and seek a relationship with him. Uh, David says it way better, so let's read what he has to say. Psalm 16, beginning in verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. 
For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Preserve me, O God. How many times have I called out for the same protection in my life? Hedge me about. Guard me. Keep me safe. Even from myself. We tend to be our own worst enemies sometimes, don't we? As we move through our lives, we find these ways to excuse ourselves. I mean, we're only human after all. Lord, keep me. When my pride wells up inside me and I think I can only be the one that's right in a situation, guard me from my pride. When I believe that my wisdom is better than yours, keep me from my foolishness. When the consequence of my bad decision comes back to haunt me, protect my heart to turn to you for guidance and help. Lord, don't just keep me from my enemies. Keep me from the enemy within. The onslaught of my own weakness is so much more powerful than the external forces that beset me. The external forces, really, they only seek to prey on pre-existing weaknesses. So preserve me, Lord and Savior. Draw me nigh to you and give me the heart to want to be there. I've put my trust in you. The amazing reality is that even when my trust falters, when I rely on my own decision-making, when I try to put trust in myself, God, your faithfulness doesn't falter because your faithfulness is not contingent on my performance as your child. Your faithfulness is only contingent on your character, which is unchanging. And this is why I keep putting my trust in you, you're unchanging. Isn't it, isn't this the reassuring nature of God? We fail. We change. We're fickle and we're prone to sin. But he doesn't abandon us when our trust looks elsewhere for guidance. He shows us mercy and when we turn to him, he shows grace. Always willing and ready to prove that our trust in him is well-placed and sure. Well, why do you put your trust in God? Is it only when he delivers to an expectation? Do we only trust him when our prayer is answered according to our will? How much more difficult to trust him when his answer to our fervent prayer is not yet or an emphatic no? Do we struggle to trust him when he exercises his will in our lives? but we don't see the end or the goal or we don't see exactly how he's working. David isn't saying he puts his conditional trust in God. David is making a statement that he's put his trust in God in all things. When life's at his lowest, at its lowest, he'll trust that God has a plan. When life's at its fullest, he'll thank God and trust that it's his blessing that has made it so. Putting our trust in God is a blessing in the valleys and on the mountains. 
trusting he'll see us through the valleys, and trusting it's only by his grace that we're standing on the mountain. In every situation in life, to allow our soul to say to God, you're the Lord of my life, it's all yours anyway. Lord, however you choose to work today, work in me the trust that I need to live inside your will. Whatever good plans we have for ourselves can't compare to the goodness that God has planned for us. Have you ever been in a situation in your life where you, you just had this really good plan for your life and it just didn't work out? Only to turn around and have God unfold a plan for you that was so much better and so much more full of goodness than your plan could have ever been? I know growing up, this this girl and I, we, we had these plans, right? We were young and we just knew and most of our church family agreed that we we're going to wind up together and be this power like pastor and wife combo. And thank God it didn't work out that way. Because what God did do was put this wonderful woman in my life, Crystal, my wife. And she's more than I could have ever asked God for. And God has used her in my life to help me grow in my Christian life. God's allowed her to be the perfect complement to my every weakness. Where I struggle, she's so strong. And where she struggles, those are areas that God has given me strength. And it's not all sunshine and roses, but God had a better plan for me. And while I, while I may have derailed that plan at times, he made all things new, and he continues to bless me with more than I could have imagined, even despite my moments of male stupidity. And I know some of you husbands out there know exactly what I'm talking about. But our goodness is just not the same level as God's goodness. And what should we expect from the one who defined the word for us, the one we measure all goodness against? If we as mankind know how to do good to the ones we love, how much more does our Father in heaven know how to do good to us? So then who else could we call Lord? Who else is so good to us when we least deserve it? As we look at our fellow believers, we see the same goodness at work in their lives. We see struggles, yes. But what goodness is this to not have to face these struggles alone? That not only does God go through these struggles with us, but has given us a spiritual family who comes alongside us and bears up our burdens. Was this not the command of God through the Apostle Paul to the church at Galatia? And what a rich blessing to see a church family come around and bear up the need of a brother or sister in Christ. We should see our fellow church members and Christians as excellent. That's to say noble, esteemed, hold them in high regard. And really, how do we treat those that we hold in high regard? We seek to know more about them, to learn about their lives. 
You know, the church wasn't meant to be segmented or segregated by groups and cliques. We're made to be one body. And as we pattern our lives after Christ, so should we pattern our church after his love for us. He gave himself for us. Do we give time, effort, our comfort for our church? Does it make you uncomfortable sometimes to engage with your church family? I'll tell you, church is not meant to be a place of comfort. I have to ask, do we think that Christ was comfortable as he hung on a tree for our sins? If he can make that sacrifice for us, believe me, the absolute least we can do is step out of our comfort zone and delight in the company and the conversation of a fellow believer. Well, David supplies a caution in the next verse, one that we would be wise to heed. It ties in with that talk of sacrifice. Because as we examine our lives, are there things that we're willing to sacrifice for? Will we sacrifice our time every week for a ball game? Do, sure, I mean, we, we have other things to do, but we willingly sacrifice those things on the sports altar? What about our family lives for work? Do we sacrifice the leadership in our families for success at work? What about substituting a podcast for reading God's word? Do we sacrifice our one-on-one time with God on the altar of convenience to simply listen to something about God? We'll make time to gossip at work, but not time for prayer, for conversation with God? Are we sacrificing conversation with our Father, the one who loves us most, for fruitless conversations that do nothing to bring him glory? What do we sacrifice on the altar of self? How much of self do we sacrifice on God's altar? David here is speaking of specific offerings that were practiced in his time. So let's talk a little bit more about some offerings and altars of our time. How much time with God has TikTok robbed you of? I'm going to challenge everybody. Look at your phones and see how much screen time you've sacrificed on the altar of Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, messaging, browsing. And don't get me wrong. I'm guilty of it too. Don't think that this isn't for me. But just like the pagans who in biblical times would carry little idols of their gods around with them in their pockets, haven't we found a way to do this in our time? What icons on the homepage of your smartphone represent the idols you have in your life that you make daily sacrifices to? And how much are they robbing God of time that could be spent with him? You know, okay, so I looked while I was writing this episode, and my average screen time per day last week was two hours and 55 minutes. Two hours and 55 minutes? I have to ask myself, how could that time have been used for a godly purpose? And 
okay, so while I do have some defense against that number, does it matter? Where's our resolve to not take up the same cup of worship of idols as those around us and stand for something different? To stand for a different standard for our lives and the lives of our family. And what is this idol worship? Let's be honest. Say to those little eyes and ears that watch and listen to us, what are we showing our kids? our grandchildren, our spouses. Having a sound relationship with our family is a priority for God as well. Are we placing our priorities where he places priority? Does it show to our family? 15 minutes a day could be a family devotion. You know, before our kids entered their teens, we had started family devotions every night. And don't get me wrong, while there were nights where we were unable to have those family devotions just due to circumstance, we continued those devotion times into their final years of high school. They became very important times of instruction and questions in our family. So when we look at the two hours and 55 minutes that I spent how would you use the other two hours and 40 minutes after using just 15 of it for family devotion? Let's take a stand. Let's take back our time in our families. Let's take back time in prayer and study. Let's set screen time alerts on our smartphones and put them down when the time has expired for the day and turn around and pour into your family and into your relationship with God. This is how we build a generation that loves the Lord and only offers sacrifices to Him. This is how God grows through us a generation that presents their bodies a living sacrifice. What would a generation look like that treats God as their inheritance? I know for most parents, they, we want to leave some kind of inheritance for our family. So fathers and mothers, we work and we work. And what winds up happening is the inheritance their kids actually get that they think is important is to make money in this life. I, I see this mindset in my own adult kids sometimes. And it, it really makes me take a look and examine what I taught in my work ethic. It makes me examine how many times I sacrificed being there for school functions so that I could be the guy that got promoted at work. And in doing that, was I teaching them to trust God in all things, that any sacrifice was worth it for him? Or was I teaching them to trust in yourself and any sacrifice was worth it if the dollar amount was high enough? Even now, do do I not pursue things God may want for me because I'd rather trust self and sacrifice happiness for security? I mean, I'm sorry for being so real, but let's get real. Is the Lord our portion? Does he have preeminence in our lives? Do we see his blessing as we walk it and we talk it? Or do we lack blessing in our lives and wonder what? The Lord is good. 
if we're not seeing it, I guarantee it, it's because it's not because of any of his shortcomings. David says when he obeys, the lines fall in his favor and he has a, a good heritage in the Lord. And the reference here is, is that boundary lines were drawn when an inheritance was divided among familial survivors when a person passed. But this was also a reference to how God divided up the promised land and drew lines for how the people of Israel were to take possession of it individually. So they understood what David meant when he said that the lines fell in his favor. And basically what David was saying was the Lord had blessed him so much, it was like his inheritance seemed to constantly be renegotiated in his favor. He had more constantly than he ever thought he deserved or could ask for. And when you look, isn't that our story? Are we not saved with a marvelous salvation that we just cannot explain? Are we forgiven? Are we made new? Are we not joint heirs with none other than the Son of God, Christ Jesus? Paul says we can claim that inheritance in Romans 8, 16 through 17, where he says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. I mean, that's another hallelujah moment right there. How can our lot be anything other than blessed beyond our dreams? We're the joint heirs of every promise of God right there with his son, who is equal with him in every way. The same son and the word who made the heavens and the earth, every galaxy, every planet, every living and breathing thing. The one who made us, we're joint heirs with him. I mean, I would say that the lines of how our inheritance is drawn out are very favorable for us. And is this not a reason to bless the Lord? How mighty is our God? And to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, a blessing, by the way, that David didn't have, and he still praised God better than we do most of the time today. But the spirit that indwells us, who gives us this constant counsel, who guides us in the way we should go and talk and act, who guides our conscience to do things that please God, who, even as we walk through dark seasons, steers us in the right path, lights the path for us, illuminates the way before us, and all we have to do is follow. Oh, well, I mean, we can mess that up, but that's on us. That's not on God. His counsel is always sure and can always be relied on. And we can find his counsel in every word of the Bible. Its effectiveness in our lives all depends on how much we want to sacrifice to make it a priority in our lives. And if we set these things before us, God before us, 
What David means here is that God remains his focus, that God is ever before him. He never moves in front of God, and he never moves too far from God. He keeps God dead center, and he pursues God as his goal. He has the one North Star to follow, and it is the way, the truth, and the life. The light of the world has captured his attention, and David refuses to let it go. And if we set these things before us, set God before us, what could be a more noble and God-glorifying pursuit than to ever follow after him? But not only to follow after him, to also allow him to come alongside us and just guide us by the strength of his hand. Do we know what that feels like? Have we ever pursued him so much that we felt like he was right there with us? And while I can't say that I feel like that all the time, I can point to times in my life where I have felt that way. The real truth of the matter is, is he's always that close. We just become more aware of it the more we allow our lives to be led by him through the Holy Spirit. Do we too often allow ourselves to be moved because we don't allow ourselves to be so willing and ready to be in God's will? Well, how can we remedy that? Back to the top of the verse, I have set the Lord always before me. And I keep coming back to this because we miss it. I really do believe. And okay. So I keep coming back to this because I miss it. You know, in the situation I shared with you about this last week of my life, I can see that it happened only because I didn't set the Lord always before my eyes. And in continued honesty, I let that situation get to where it was. I was afraid because of some uncertainty at work. So I buckled down and I hyper-focused on something I knew that I could control that would give me a sense of security should anything happen on that front. And the truth of the matter is, the Lord doesn't need me to help preserve me in that situation. While my priority shifted focus, he still makes my well-being a priority of his. So what do I have to fear? The Lord hasn't failed me once, and I should know by now that he's not going to start failing me all of a sudden. But I allowed my focus to shift. I allowed myself to be moved. I, I allowed my trust to falter. And now as I read this psalm, I can't help but be reminded, as I said towards the beginning, that his faithfulness, thank God, is not contingent on my trust. He'll preserve me regardless of what I think or fear. 
regardless of my uncertainty or my situation, he will preserve me. And now, not only am I so humbled by this glaring truth, I'm glad. I mean, like David, the realization that God will provide in every circumstance, it calms my soul. It sets my heart in the right place, and I'm beginning to see that no matter what tomorrow brings, the Lord of today is the same Lord of tomorrow, and he has not changed from yesterday. I'm reminded of Philippians 1.6 where Paul says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. His good work in me never stops. While my faithfulness may pause and my trust may stumble from time to time, the work that he started in me at the moment of salvation will not be halted. He'll continue to grow me. He'll continue to pour into me. His grace will continue to extend to my every fault, and his mercies will renew daily. He'll never leave me or forsake me. I'm held eternally in his hand. If he was faithful to not let his son see corruption of the grave, exactly as he said he wouldn't, does not the same power living in me promise preservation and delivery of all of his promises? I don't want to miss here for a moment that this psalm is rich in messianic prophecy. From the beginning of it through the end, it does indeed speak of Christ's trust in the Father to keep and preserve him while he lived a perfect life here on earth. His inheritance was to sacrifice himself for us, his cup to drink, never to be corrupted by idol worship, for he was our propitiation. He came and lived the life we couldn't live because of his singular focus on his mission, on the Father's will. He knew his father would not leave him to be corrupted in the grave, that he would enter hell only to lead captivity captive, not to stay there. Jesus spoke of the father's faithfulness and his worthiness of our trust more than any other man, more than any other prophet. He pointed constantly to the father and kept the father's will paramount, even as he petitioned to allow the cup to pass from him. He was glad of his inheritance. He rejoiced in being able to drink the cup for us. And Christ showed us the path of life in his unconditional obedience to the Father and his unconditional love for us. He's our hope. And this sure hope, this is the core of our rejoicing. This is the anthem of our worship, that God was merciful to us as sinners. In him, we can find life. We can follow that path, the path that leads to him through faith in the sacrifice that the son was faithful to perform. The son didn't experience the corruption of the grave. Death had no hold on him because on the third day he arose. Look at what he's done for us. 
and basking in the light of his presence now, only to live in the light of his presence in eternity, our full joy on this earth is only a glimpse of our relation in eternity. To be able to sit with God and commune with him one-on-one. No more this barrier of, of flesh between him and us. To look on our living hope in Jesus Christ and to be able to wrap our arms around him and give him the kiss of a brother. Oh, I want to see him look upon his face, there to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. Hey, thanks for walking with me a while as we read the word together. Won't you join me next week? And we'll walk just a little bit further. If you like the podcast, go ahead and hit that follow button. If you have any questions about salvation or general podcast questions, uh, reach out to us via email at podcast at lakeworthbaptist.org. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram and Facebook by looking for LWBC underscore publications.